see, the problem with this Bible that I hold up in front of me, many will claim it's true. Many will say that it's a good thing. But the reality is how many really, truly embrace it's the air that you breathe. Welcome to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. It is a joy to have you listening today, and we pray that you will be encouraged, challenged, and motivated to live for God like never before. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor John Couch. Lord, uh, we come before you, and God, we love you. You're just awesome. Uh, there is none like you, God. And so as we open your word, the truth, would you work in us, work in me, uh, give us, give us a word from heaven today, Lord. I know there's so many that are hurting, going through struggles and, and pain and difficulties. And Lord, we just, we want a word from heaven is what we want. And so, God, would you give it to us now? And we give you all the praise for what you're about to do uh, with confident expectation. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Take your Bible, if it's not already open, to Acts chapter 20. And we are looking at verses 7 through 16 today. So, Acts 20. 7 through 16, and the title of our, our message, our study today is Committed to Being Gathered Around the Word. Committed to Being Gathered Around the Word. Now, I, I get it. I, I probably lost somebody, if not here, those that might be listening I'm sure I lost somebody on that first word, committed. Right? I mean, can we be just, just direct as we have this conversation today that uh, we live in a society that has completely lost the true definition of commitment? Can we agree on that? I mean, forget spiritual things for just a moment. I'm just talking in general. Uh, we live in a culture that wars against, that rebels against, that pushes against commitment. Matter of fact, I think we could argue this, we live in a culture that actually endorses, champions, cheerleads, not being committed in a culture that flaunts the hookup culture, non-commitment, just do what you want, whatever feels good, just do it. And this has morphed into the spiritual context. Church, your life, my life, spiritually, we'll say, 
is like an ATM. Your spiritual life is like an ATM. What you put in it is what you're going to get out of it. I mean, there's just no way around that concept. If you're partially committed to Christ, if you're partially committed to His Word, if you're partially committed to gathering, if you're partially committed to prayer, if you're partially committed to discipleship, if you're partially committed to evangelism, if you're partially committed to serving, if you're partially committing to crucifying the enemy of self, if you're partially, if you're partially, if you're partially committed, the results that you're going to reap are what you put in. And so we want to be committed, amen? Matter of fact, our theme for this year is God wants more in 24. Had to think of something that rhymed, amen? (laughs) And so, but it's true, right? God wants more. Like, I know He wants more of me, I'm not fully glorified. You're not fully glorified. So that means we are on this road for the true believer we're talking about here. You're on this road of sanctification. So that means you, me, we're all still a work in progress. That means there's still stuff in my life and your life that that we haven't fully given over to God, that we're still playing tug of war with Him. And God wants us to be committed. And so with that thought, I want to just springboard one more nugget. I want to get your mind thinking. And here's the thought before we read the text. Why are you here right now? That's my question. Look at yourself. Go, self. Everyone on the count of three say self. One, two, three. That sounded good. Just ask yourself, why am I here right now? Seriously. Like, is it out of habit? Is it out of duty? Or are you someone who's here right now going, I've been waiting for this since I was here on Wednesday night to get back here. Like, there's just a longing, a a desire that I want to be in the house of the Lord on the Lord's day. Here's what the Bible shows us from the early church and how they viewed this thought. Acts 20, as we ask, what's the why? Why am I here right now? Acts 20 Verse 7, ESV translation. Let's read this together. As I read it out loud, let's ask the Lord to open our hearts, our minds, our souls. On the first day of the week, when we were, what church? Gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. And all God's preachers shouted, Amen. 
there were many lamps, verse 8, in the upper room where we were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story, wow, and was taken up, what church? Dead. Ten. But Paul went down and bent over him, and taking him in his arms, he said, do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. Wow. It's amazing, isn't it? Verse 11, and when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak and so departed. Now look at these remaining verses, verse 12 and following. Powerful thought in verse 12. And they took the youth away alive. That's good. And were not a little comforted. But, 13, going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Asos, intending to take Paul aboard there, for so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. Hmm. So Paul's walking by land to spend more time with the people. That's selfless. 14, and when he met us at Asos, we took him on board and went to Mytilene, and sailing from there, we came upon the following day opposite Chios. The next day, we touched at Samos, and well, the day after that, we went to Miletus, 16, for Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia. Lastly, for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Church, this is the Word of God, and all God's people said, Amen. Let's look at just a few verses here to really dig deep into this. Asking the question, why am I here? What's the motive? What's the why? Am I committed to gather around the Word? Look at verse 7 for for the first chunk here. Verse 7, Acts 20. Let me read it again. So, Acts 20, verse 7. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, so there's We're gathering on the first day. There's a why. Gathering together to break bread. Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. So so as you're taking notes, as the Holy Spirit, I praise even right now, working and connecting dots in your mind and your heart and your soul, that, that you really see three factors here. You see three factors as you look in your Bible. So so number one here is that. This right here is one of the first accounts of a Christian church gathering. One of the very first accounts is right here. They intentionally gathered on this first day of the week. Do you have any idea why they did that? There's a why here. There's always a motive on why we do something. Could be out of habit, that's true. But why do they gather on the first day of the week? Well, they did so because Jesus Christ arose on Sunday, the first day of the week. And one of the greatest things that you and I can do is celebrate our rescue. 
Matter of fact, every true believer should be living a life that every day, just not on Sunday, just not Wednesday at 6.30 or 5.45 p.m., but every day, every true believer should be celebrating your rescue. I mean, if you've truly been rescued from the worst calamity that you can imagine, and the worst calamity that you can imagine is standing in front of the Lord and Him saying, depart from me, I never knew you. Like you may think that, you know, having six bucks in your bank account is bad, and I'm sure that's not easy, and uh, you may think that you know, not having the house like your neighbor has is a horrible thing and you're suffering. And yes, I get it. Sometimes five o'clock on I-95, you're praying for the rapture. I've done that many, many, many times. I get that. But that's not persecution. But standing in front of Christ, the judge on that day, and we all will stand in front of him in either one of two lines, the great white throne judgment that you don't want to be in, or the judgment seat of Christ, If you're in the great white throne judgment, you're going to hear, depart from me. Never knew you. Never knew you. And so they gathered on the first day of the week because they knew this. They knew that they knew Jesus, and they knew with confidence, a confident expectation. They knew that Jesus knew them. They knew that they knew intimately, intimately, that they knew that they knew Jesus, but it's a two-way street. They knew with great confidence that, that Jesus knew them. And so they gathered. Church, if you believe that the greatest thing that's ever happened to you is being spiritually rescued, by the way, do you believe that? Like, do you believe that? Show of hands. Do you believe that the greatest thing that has ever entered your life has been spiritually rescued? If you believe that, how could you flippantly fool around on Sunday? It just doesn't make any sense in my head. If that's the greatest thing there is, it's greatest. And yet so many are just flippantly fooling around on Sunday. And by the way, I'm guilty. No one has to search for excuses. Satan's got a big bag of them just waiting next to our beds, doesn't he? Matter of fact, testimony, testimony has just kind of hit me. So I uh, heard last week and this week from the same person. This is so cool. So this person, you know who you are. Heard last weekend, just this morning, that this person has told me that on Saturday nights, they prepare to come to the house of the Lord on the Lord's day. <laughs> Ooh, you want to get your preacher fired up. That's good stuff right there. That's good stuff. That's that's commitment. That's putting what matters most first. Number two, they broke bread on this day. This was twofold. So twofold here. This was a common meal. (laughs) Hey, we're Baptist. (laughs) 
Get a witness on that one, amen? <laughs> you know, belly ship is part of our doctrine, isn't it? And, uh, you know, uh, common meal, sharing uh, a green bean casserole, that's just, uh, that's salvation, that's salvific, amen? And so, yeah, amen, I knew, I knew he was saved, praise the Lord. And uh, so, yeah, it's interesting, because when you think about that, but, but it also is coupled with the Lord's Supper. This is so key, so don't miss this. So, so they broke bread. So help me on this. This is not a trick question, and we try to make this interactive because I don't want you being a Eutychus and falling out the window, amen? And so, <laughs> at least we're on the first story, praise Jesus, amen? So you think about this. So, so what happens, dialogue with me here, what happens when you fellowship with someone over a meal typically? Like what happens? Well, there's typically what? Conversation. Uh, there's typically kind of leaning in. There, there's sharing. There's caring. There, there's just something about around a meal typically that happens. And, and that is the whole point. That, that, that is the point. That, that there would be that koinonia, that, that true relational fellowship, that, that unity, that oneness that, that comes through that. But they also shared in the Lord's Supper and they called these love feasts. And the love feasts were so critical in this early church because they were intentional, they were urgent, they realized that the rescue had to be celebrated, and they celebrated it, yes, every day, but they set aside the first day of the week, Sunday, they blocked it off, they basically said, come hell or high water, we're gathering. And boy, the Lord blessed that, didn't He? See, the God blesses commitment. He blesses it. He honors it. Matter of fact, it's not on the screens, but I made a note here. In these love feasts, just, just write down Jude, J-U-D-E. There's only one chapter, so just read it all later. You'll be blessed by it. But, but Jude actually addresses, again, it's not on the screens, but in verses 12 and 13, he, he talks about the love feast. L- listen to what Jude says in Jude 12 and 13. He says this. He says, these are hidden reefs at your love feast. As they feast with you, he's talking about Satan's agents. He's talking about wolves and sheep's clothing. As they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees, and late autumn twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. Wow. See, Satan would like nothing more than to infiltrate unity. That's what he does. He's the master divider. And here they are, back to Acts 20. They're gathering together. They're intentional. Lord's Day, Sunday, breaking bread. Thirdly, Paul is about to embark on a long trip. And his primary concern, this blows me away. He's about ready to go on a long trip, and his concern is typically... What do we do? (laughs) I'm going on a long trip. I need to get a nap, take a break, pack my bags. He's concerned about them hearing the word. And that's what he did. 
<laughs> I did it for a long time. A really long time. Matter of fact, let me read this one more time. Verse 7, 20. Look in your Bible or on the screens. On the first day of the week, when we gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until when, church? Midnight. We can deduct this, the theologians can, and we can as well, that he probably started preaching at 6 p.m. You guys think you got it rough, amen? I mean, do your math, that's six hours. No one's belly aching, no one's complaining. Some people are falling out windows and dying, though. You know why? You know why? Because the early church was hungry for the Word of God. They were hungry for it. Do you know why you get hungry for the Word? Because you spiritually know you need to eat. Because you spiritually know you need the nourishment. Because you spiritually know it's life. Oh, how things have changed since then. One pastor said it like this. I love this quote. The problem with the early church was not trying to get them to show up, but trying to get them to go home. <laughs> That's good, isn't it? Can you imagine? Uh, guys, uh, you know, I'm tired. <laughs> uh, if you want to hang around here, can someone lock the doors and turn off the lights? <laughs> That'd be amazing, wouldn't it? Key number one, write this down in your notes. Key number one. Here it is. Devoted Christ followers will gather together on the Lord's day. We're just pulling this from verse 7. They will engage in unified fellowship with one another. Remember, they had the Lord's Supper and their fellowship meals, their love feast. And they will joyfully sit under the Word of God. This is just straight from verse 7. One more time, key number one. Devoted, that's the key, committed Devoted Christ followers will gather together on the Lord's day. You reserve it. We talked about this last week, but guard it with your life. Guard it. Church, here's a phrase we say in our house a lot, and a lot of it's… I'm convicted by it, so I'll let you just listen in on it. But here's a phrase. Ready? We all do what we really want to do. Isn't that so true? I mean, I love sports. I love football especially. I've done this. I, I've driven you know, five hours to get to the game, sat there for three hours in the freezing rain, spent money I didn't have on $20 popcorn, Sat by someone who, well, those seats are tight. My team lost. Drove five hours home, and I called that a good day. Because <laughs> I do what I really want to do. Man, wouldn't it be amazing if we all got back to the early church model? 
And if we just set the tone in a culture that's not committed, in a culture, a church culture that goes, yeah, show up when you want and do whatever you want and you know, schedule everything on Sunday morning because Sunday morning's the new Saturday and, and Jesus still loves you and He doesn't care and He'll forgive. And why don't we get back to the early church model and, and why don't we guard Sunday? Just guard it. Guard it with your life. Because it is your life. It's my life. question we should daily be asking ourselves is what I'm about to do going to increase or decrease my spiritual progress? Is what I'm about to do going to increase or decrease my spiritual progress? Because church, here's the reality. Remember, go back to the ATM machine. What you put in spiritually is what you get out spiritually. Here's the deal, when, not if. You ready? When, not if, but, but when the crises hit your life, when, not if, if you are not spiritually well, you will bail spiritually. If you're not spiritually well, if you're not a self-feeder, if you're not guarding the fellowship, if you're not in prayer and in the Word and being nurtured and discipling, you're going to bail. It's the path of least resistance. But when you stand in awe of God, when you stand in awe of His Word, and Satan knows that it's the Word of God that will give you life, so, so, so where do you think, here, here it is, church, help me on this, where do you think Satan's going to attack you the most? Where you're going to get the Word. <laughs> he's going to attack, he's going to, a heat-seeking missile, he, he's looking to kill, steal, and destroy, he's the father of all lies, he hates you, hates your life, hates your marriage, hates your church, hates your kids. He's going to do everything in his power to destroy you. That's why you got to guard it. you got to be sober. you got to be vigilant while your devil, the adversary, he prowls around like a, not like a little kitty cat, but a, but a roaring lion. Seeking. Seeking who he may devour. I know how many people I've seen over the years that profess Jesus on one hand and Satan just devours them on the other. You got to be on your guard. Where the word of God is declared with power, that's where he's going to attack you the most. We must stand in awe of God. Just stand in awe of him. That's why the early church did so much regarding their devotion. And remember, your devotion is not something that comes from what you somehow gumption up in your own strength. Your devotion, your commitment is a natural outflow. It's a, it's a natural byproduct, okay? It's a byproduct of being tethered, anchored, riveted, welded to, abiding in the true vine Jesus. That's it right there. Like today, if you want the cliff notes on 
You know, my life is not bearing good fruit. Can you help me on that? Sure. John 15, 1 through 8, write it down, not on the screens. There it is. If you want to bear good, godly fruit, it's real simple. Stay connected to Jesus. People go, well, I'm I'm doing that. Okay, so do you know Jesus said that if you really want to be connected to Him, the first thing you're going to have to do is deny yourself. How's that going? Oops. Right? Who wants to put self on the shelf, right? (laughs) Who really wants to put self on the shelf? That's the war right there. Boy, if you can somehow, by the power of the Holy Spirit, conquer the war that's going on inside of you, you will win every war going on outside of you. That's it right there. By the power of the Holy Spirit, connected to the vine Jesus, if you give Him your life, you're surrendered, and you're constantly killing, crucifying the enemy of self day by day, moment by moment. I'm not getting what I want. Kill it. Crucify it. Take it out in the street and beat it. Because then humility and service and missionary sacrifice will enter your life. And when I say missionary, I'm not talking about going across the pond. I'm talking about going across the street. You're listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. All of Pastor Couch's messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. In addition, you can share your prayer requests with us via email. Our email address for prayer requests is prayer at thisdayministries.org. That's prayer at thisdayministries.org. And now, back to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch. Here's what the early church did. Acts, write this down, 2.42. Write this down, Acts 2.42. Supporting verses. And they devoted, oh, there it is. Well, that didn't take long, did it? Three words. And they devoted. You know what that means? It means to continually be surrendered to. (laughs) Wow. That puts a whole new spin on that word devotion, doesn't it? Not one time, not twice. Hey, I did it 19 times. Great. Golf clap. Praise Jesus. To continually forever be surrendered to. There it is. And they continually were surrendered themselves. They continually surrendered themselves to what? Number one. Out of the gate. Number one. To what? The apostles' teaching. To the Word of God. And the fellowship, that's important. Unity, oneness, to the breaking of bread. We talked about this. And yes, to prayer. Colossians 3.16, write this down. Colossians 3.16. Paul now writes to the church in Colossae. Let. Anytime you see the word let, what's that mean? You guys should know this by now. It means this, do this. So when you read Scripture and it says let, it means do this. Do this, let the Word of Christ dwell in you. What's the Word of Christ? Anyone know? Not a trick question. The Bible, amen? Let the Word of God, the Bible, Christ, dwell in you how? How do you let this dwell? Richly, lavishly. Teaching and, oh no, we're back to last week, admonishing. (laughs) That doesn't sound very fun. Firmly warning. You do that for people you love though, don't you? 
one another. How? In all what? This is so key. In all what? Foolishness? In all wickedness? No. In all, help me church, wisdom. How do you get wisdom? Oprah, Dr. Phil, TV commentators. Where do you get wisdom? You get it from the Word of God. It's the Bible. It's life. Card it with your life. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I know Sam likes that part. With thankfulness in your hearts to God. Write down Hebrews chapter 10, still under this key one. Hebrews 10. We talked about this last time together, but we're going to bring it up again. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. Here it is. If you want to be devoted, here it is. And let us do this. Consider how to stir up. Remember, we talked about this. Provoke, irritate one another to love and good works. Challenge one another. What are you doing? Don't be lazy. Don't be a spiritual slacker. They're everywhere. Don't do that. Not neglecting to meet together. He's referring to the corporate gathering, the writer of Hebrews, as is the habit of some. In 24, we could say, is the habit of most. But encouraging, it's fourfold though, remember, exhortation, right? Comfort, instruction, and yes, firmly warning one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Church, I'm telling you, this is so important. When you stand in a hospital room on Friday night, and there's a guy in front of you as you walk in the room, and he looks at you, and the first thing he says is, don't preach to me. And he's got two days to live. I didn't go in there and just talk about the weather, tell the latest joke. This guy's about ready to enter into a godless hell. Don't play games with God. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. You'll pay a price. Church, you'll pay a price you're not ready to pay. The day is drawing all the more near. It's high time we wake out of our sleep and to begin to live the gospel and grab ankles. As was once said, if they're going to go to hell, let's make sure they got to leap over us because we're doing everything we can to block them as they go into that dark eternity. And then I want to give you Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews 3, 12 through 14. It says this, Take care, brothers. Be on your guard is what it means lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But what's that tell us? That tells us this. You can make a profession of Jesus, and you can be on that last day saying, Jesus, now we did all this stuff for you. When he can look at us and go, get away from me. It's not that I don't know you now. I never knew you. 
13 of Hebrews 3, but exhort, there it is, the fourfold, but exhort one another how often, church? Sunday mornings only? Wednesday evenings, right? Every day, as long as it's called today, as long as we're here. Why? There's a why. That none of you, how many people? None of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed, here it is, if indeed we hold our original, here's the word, confidence, firm to the end. And lastly, church, under the section 1, Ephesians chapter 4, write that down. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, so we bounced all around here. You can see this intentionally to underpin this thought from Acts 20, verse 7. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Why? To equip the saints for the work. It doesn't say he gave them to equip the saints so that the actual apostles, prophets, and evangelists, and shepherds would do the work, although we do. The whole point is to equip the saints for the work. Why? For the building up of the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Here it is, right? Here it is. Listen to these words to mature manhood, to mature womanhood. The whole point is to present people mature in Christ. That's right there, the goal of the church. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. 14, here's the why, so that, here's the why, we may no longer be children, spiritual babies. Where's my blankie? Where's my binky? Tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about every wind, every doctrine. Listen to what I heard. By human cunning, ooh, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Watch out, be on your guard. Rather, speaking the truth in love. <laughs> Don't misread that. That's not mamby pamby. That's not what he's saying. He's actually saying, at times you need to be firm. We are to grow up in every way into Him. See, that's the point. You're a Christ follower. I pray everyone is. You're to grow up. You're to mature. You are, you are to elevate, if you will, in Him by His doing the elevating for the true vine. And so what happens is you grow into Christ. Not apart from Him, not away from Him, but into Him. That's the goal. And then what happens? Well, here it is. Who is the head into Christ? 16, Ephesians 4, from whom the whole body. <laughs> Love this. Don't miss this. Not filler. From whom the whole body, not the partial body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. Boy, everyone plays a role. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow. Why? Why? So that it builds itself up in love. And all God's people said. Church, church, here's the thought. Jesus said this. 
Jesus said, I am the fountain of, help me, someone finish. I'm the fountain of living, say it louder, water. So Jesus says, I'm the fountain, I'm the life source of not dead, not stagnant, but I am the life source of living spiritual water. Here's the question, which fountain are you drinking from? Just like there's a lot of false vines, there are a lot of false fountains in our world today that look good, that even taste good, but they're poisonous. Make sure you're drinking from the one fountain of living spiritual water, which is Jesus himself. In church, the early church knew this. That's why they intentionally guarded Sunday. They fellowshiped, they broke bread, they listened to the word even at length. But then something pretty wild happens in your Bible in front of you or on the screens. Look at verse 8 through 10 in Acts 20. It says this, there were many lamps. There's a reason that's in there. I think twofold. Uh, Christians were accused in the early days of being uh, very covert, and they had to many times, but here they're lamps, so here, well, this is what we're doing. But I think even more, I think there's a reason, and as these lamps are oil lamps, they're giving off fumes, and when you're breathing in fumes, what might happen? Well, perhaps this is one of the causes, if not the cause, for what we see next. It says we're gathered in the upper room, verse 8 of Acts 20, and a young man... The Greek surmises he was probably between the ages of 7 and 14. Name Eutychus. <laughs> Anybody in the room named Eutychus, by the way, out of curiosity? Yeah, I know you don't. Uh, <laughs> hey, we're having a boy. Oh, fantastic. What are you going to name him? Ah, it's down to Bob and Eutychus. Okay, good. Good. Excellent. Excellent. Sitting at the window and he sank, he grew drowsy, is what that means, into a deep sleep. So it's past his bedtime, nighty night. And as Paul talks still longer, remember, it's midnight. He's probably been talking for six hours. And being overcome by sleep, the Greek, I got to laugh on this. So the Greek gives the indication here that he's fighting to stay awake. Now, you probably know where I'm going with this, right? So it's probably happened to you. I know it's happened to me. But have you ever saw and watched someone trying to stay awake? Right? And that's one of those where you're not laughing with them. You are laughing at them. Let's be honest, right? I mean, I mean they're fighting. And what's their head doing, right? You've seen it, right? Maybe, I mean, the head is just bobbing and, you know, they, they, it bobs and they wake up. And of course, the first thing you do is you kind of want to look around, make sure no one saw it, even though everyone did. And, and I mean, your head is, you're just fighting, right? I mean, you're just fighting. They're not sure if you're jamming out to something or, because you're just fighting, right? I mean, you're, you're a head just fighting, you're just fighting. This poor kid, he's just fighting to stay awake. 
And then what happens? He fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down. So Paul, Paul pauses his preaching. Six hours into it, uh-oh, someone just fell out the window, three stories. I better go check on him. And he bends over him and says, and taking him in his arms, he says, do not be alarmed. Now, this is very interesting because in the Greek, when you look at the word alarmed, you got to remember back in that Eastern culture, when someone would die, there would be literally from the family, that they would wail and they would shriek. I mean, we're talking wailing and shrieking what time of day is it? <laughs> Mid, thank you, thank you, thank you. And, and so <laughs> they're shrieking and wailing in the neighborhood. Paul's like, shh, it's okay. Now it's interesting when he says, for there is life in him, don't misread that. So when you tear the Greek apart, He's not saying that he didn't die. That's not what he's saying. Oh, he died. He's dead. He's deader than a doornail. You know what I'm saying? He's dead. He's dead. Matter of fact, here's a great, I love this nugget. You ready for this one? Who, Holy Spirit did, I get it, but who did the Holy Spirit use to write the book of Acts? Anyone know? Dr. Luke. So a doctor's writing this. Oh, isn't that a good nugget under there? Did you catch what I'm trying to say here? The doctor, the doctor's signing the death certificate. It's good. This guy, Ute, we'll call him Ute. He's in a deep sleep, falls out the window, maybe the fumes, maybe the late hour. And then, all right, on the count of three, everyone say miracle alert. One, two, three, shout it. Here it is. Paul stops teaching, runs down three stories, picks up the kid, wraps you up in his arms. Don't be alarmed. And you know what's so amazing? Not including Christ's resurrection and not including, not including when Christ was, was on the cross and the Bible says that the tombs opened and people walked into the holy city. Remember that account? Remember this, the centurions going, truly this is the Son of God. And darkness fills the sky, and people start walking out of their graves. Ooh, wow. I'll get your attention. Not including any of that, okay? But this is the eighth account of a resurrection in the Bible. Pretty cool, huh? Research it. Number eight. So here it is. So Paul, <laughs> this is so good. Here he is. <laughs> Youth's been raised. He's not dead. So in the middle of a church service, check this out as I give you key number two, just a moment. In the middle of the church service, a guy dies and is raised from the dead. You know what I long for? I long for in the middle of a church service for people to spiritually die and spiritually get raised from the dead. That's what I long for. I long for it. I long for it. It's what keeps me going. I long for it. 
And wouldn't that be amazing? <laughs> you go home and you're talking to your neighbor this afternoon as you're sweeping the leaves or whatever. And they say, hey, I was church today. <laughs> we had a guy die and he got raised from the dead. Physically, that would be amazing, wouldn't it? But imagine every Sunday you get to share that with your neighbors of what spiritually happens. Doesn't get any better than that. It doesn't get any better than that. Write down key number two. Here it is. Here it is. Key number two. Devoted Christ followers will gather together on the Lord's day. We've established that. And <laughs> I love this. And don't be surprised what God may do in your midst as you gather for His glory. Key number two, devoted Christ followers will gather together on the Lord's day. And don't be surprised what God may do in your midst as you gather for His glory. See, God loves to interrupt us. Have you noticed that? Oh, He loves to interrupt me and He loves to interrupt you. We got our own plans, our own goals, our own desires. And God goes, I'm going to interrupt you today because that's not what I want you to do. I mean, wouldn't that be amazing when we begin to start gathering confidently expecting God to do work, that people begin to get a hold of God, and God begins to get a hold of people, and we watch Him work in power. I believe God can do it. And yet the love of many, as we know in these last days, is growing cold. But you know what the Word promises? Even though the love of many will grow cold, it says this, that the Word of God will still go forth in power. Amen? So here's a question. What are you expecting God to do? I mean, just think through that. Like, like what are you expecting God to do? Do you have any expectations of God? I mean, we read about them, we talk about them, we share stories, we, all good stuff, but are you expecting God to do something? You get a bunch of people expecting God to move in power. I believe a mighty move is just around the corner. Let me give you one illustration from Scripture. There's many under this key number two. Let me give you just one. Many miracles in Scripture, but let me give you one. Write down 1 Kings. Let's go back to the Old Testament. 1 Kings. Just write this down. 17, verses 8 through 16. So 1 Kings 17, 8 through 16. Here's one example of a mighty move. Expecting God, being surprised when God moves. This is a nugget. There's some truths in here I'm going to give you that I believe are going to help us in 24 as we're expecting God to move in power. So 1 Kings 17, 8 through 16, here's what it says. Then the word of the Lord came to him. So not a trick question, but I need you to help me on this. What came to him? Any ideas? Thank you. The word of the Lord. Who's him? Does anyone know? We haven't said yet, but does anyone know? Any Bible scholars know who him is? Starts with an E. Eli. Uh, I, I kind of fooled you because you, you, are you going to say a sha or a ja? <laughs> sha, ja, right? Sha, ja. So it's Elijah is who it is, okay? So here it is, Elijah. Arise. So there's a command here. This is key. Don't miss this. 
So the word of the Lord came. Picture yourself here. This is you. Arise, go do something, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there, remain there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there. Oh, this is so good. I have commanded a widow there to feed you. Okay, interesting. Word of the Lord, Elijah, command, go to sit and dwell there. I've already went ahead of you. There's a nugget. Did you catch this? See, when God commands you to do something in obedience, He always goes before you. He's already in front of you. He doesn't say go wherever, and then he's like, man, I'm glad you're here, and we're really not sure what to do now. He's like, I'm going before you. You just obey. Back to our narrative, 1 Kings 17. A widow was there, okay, so verse 10. So he arose, okay, this is interesting, So he arose, who's he? Any ideas? Elijah, and went. It's totally possible in my life and your life to get a command from the Lord to actually get up, but don't do anything. Are we tracking? God says, go. We go, okay. We get up, but it's still possible to disobey. Look at the Bible on the screens. So he arose, he got up, two keywords, and help me, church, went. Oh, it's so key. Don't miss this. So he hears, he gets up, he obeys and goes to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, <laughs> don't you love this? Who's there? Any ideas? What did God say was going to be there? See, when God speaks, take it to the bank that check's going to cash. But you will never see the check cash unless you obey. See, way too many people, as weird as this sounds, are spending a whole lot of time praying when they should be spending their time obeying. Oh, I'm saying pray, yeah. Yeah. But there's times where you know it's time to pull the trigger. And it's much easier to disobey, cloak it, and I'm still waiting for a word from the Lord. Not all the time, but I know I'm guilty and you know you're guilty. Or there's times where God goes, you need to go do this. He obeys. Beautiful. Here it is. What happens? This is so good. If you want to see God work in power in your life, your marriage, your home, your church. When he came, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, bring me. So this is the first of two bring me's. Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. So he's thirsty. Verse 11. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug, and now I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, here's the why, that we may eat it and die. Hmm. 
Doesn't sound overly promising, does it? And Elijah, verse 13, said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you've said, but here it is. Here's the key. This right here is the key. This is where most people get tripped up right here, these two words. Let me read this to you. But second, is that what that says? Oh, thank you. But first, see, God is a first fruits God. God's not interested in your leftovers. He's interested in your immediate obedience. But first, wait a minute, they're about ready to die. But first, make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward, make something for yourself and your son. Wait a minute, Elijah. We got a son and a mom that are about to die. They're trying to sustain themselves with nourishment. And you're telling her, just not her, but you're telling a mama bear to do what? To actually deny just not herself, but her son. And they may die and give you what they need. Give it to you first. See, that's how God works. (laughs) You want to watch God work in power in your life, your marriage, your home, your church? Give Him everything first. And He'll bless it, I'm telling you. He'll bless it. And what's 14 say? For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel... The jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. Verse 15, and she went and, help me church, did. And she went and she obeyed in spite of her own life and her son's life, maybe dying. And Elijah said, and she and he and her household ate for how many days? Many days. Here's 16. Here's the glory of the Lord. When you obey him and you do what he's asking you to do, here's verse 16. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah and all God's people shouted. That's it. That's it right there. That's it. This Christian life is not difficult. It's just we get in the way. It's not hard. Jesus said, if you really want to come after me, crucify yourself. And if you get step number one, if that's the one thing you do by the power of the Holy Spirit, everything else falls into place. Don't be surprised what God will do in your midst when you start obeying Him. Because we often spiritually get what we expect. Don't expect, church, hear me clearly. Don't expect God to move in power in your life if you are currently walking in disobedience. Don't do it. You're on a fool's errand. You're on a fool's errand. You're chasing the wind is what you're doing. God's going to bless me, even though I'm disobeying Him. Trust me, no, He's not. Powerful, isn't it? All right, lastly, here it is. Let me give you two verses. Lastly, Acts 20. Back to Acts 20. Here it is. Backside of the hill. 
get excited, get expecting. Here it is, Acts 20, 11 through 12. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten… <laughs> All right, real, real quick, what time is it roughly? If you had to guess, just take a guess. What time roughly? Midnight-ish. <laughs> so I don't know about you, but I'm ready to go to sleep. What does Paul do? Paul goes up and he breaks bread. He eats, he converses with them a while longer. Every theologian I researched on this argues this, that he resumed his sermon. <laughs> this is wild stuff, isn't it? Six hours, a guy falls out the window, dies, a miracle is performed, the church service is interrupted, God moves in power, Paul goes back up. He's got a big trip to go on, by the way. He could be resting, could be napping, could be rejuvenated. He decides, you know what, let's eat. Uh, where did we leave our, in the sermon earlier? Wow, that's power, and that's power, that's power, that's power. And he did this until how long? What's it say there? Until What? You don't have to be a math genius to figure this out, but you know what? They've been up all stinking night. This is crazy. It's not crazy when this is the air you breathe. See, the problem with this Bible that I hold up in front of me, many will claim it's true. Many will say that it's a good thing. But the reality is, how many really, truly embrace it's the air that you breathe? Like, if you don't have it, you can't function. And something tells me there's droves upon droves of people, even inside churches across America today, that that's the reality of their life. But what happens? Well, look in 2011 at the end, so he departs, and they took the youth away, how? Alive! And they were not a little comforted, that means they were greatly comforted. Matter of fact, it's parakleo from last time together. Why did God do miracles in the Bible? Any idea? Great answer. Great answer. Yes. That actually is the overarching answer. Everything God does is for whose glory? To praise Him. To draw praise and honor to Him. There's a secondary reason. Let me give you an illustration. So, someone falls out this window over here. I know it's only a very small drop, but they fall out and they, they die on the pavement. And then all of a sudden, we rush out there, and the person was dead, but now they're alive. What is that going to do to you and your faith? You've got to go home going, man, that was boring today. What are we going to do? Man, you're going to be telling everybody on your streets. Can you imagine how their faith was strengthened? <laughs> no wonder they stayed up the rest of the night. Can you imagine they get back up there and they're like, did you just see what happened? I, I, I don't, I'm staying awake because I don't want to miss what's going to happen next. <laughs> and how many times 
do we miss what God is going to do next because we're, we're just not willing to let Him interrupt our schedule. I think so many people miss God because they haven't forget giving Him their life. Because the reality is this, when you don't give Him your life, you certainly don't give Him your schedule. And God doesn't want to just have you accept, air quotes, Jesus. I think that's one of the, I'm going to say this. I've said it before, okay? I've said that phrase. I think that's one of the most harmful phrases you could say. And here's why. God's not looking for you to accept Jesus. Hey, there's Jesus. Go accept Him. He's looking for you to surrender to Him. When did you give your life to Jesus? That's the best question you can ask somebody. Tell me about when you surrendered your life to Jesus. You will either see this, and I see this all the time when I ask that question. You will either see the eyes light up or the eyes deaden even more. Why? Because you've either surrendered your life to Christ or you haven't. I think Satan's totally fine with a bunch of people, air quotes, accepting Jesus. Because a lot of times when we accept Jesus, what do we do? We take Jesus, we accept him, and then we drag him around town. And that's just not salvation. See, it's so important, church, that this whole episode was a distraction, I think, just a bit of a distraction <laughs> to Paul. He goes back upstairs and preaches. By the way, can, can you imagine the preaching after the guy got raised from the dead? You thought there was power before. Woo. The one was dead, now he's alive. Oh, we, we long for that miracle spiritually. And that's why key number three, here it is, our last key. Write this down. Write this down. Key number three. Devoted Christ followers will gather together on the Lord's day. And even in the midst of distractions, so even in the midst even in the midst of distractions, growing in the Word for God's glory, what our brother said back there, I love it, will be the overarching mission. And therefore, taking comfort in the power of God. I know it's a long one. Let me read it one last time. Write it down in your notes. Key three. Devoted Christ followers will gather together on the Lord's day, and even in the midst of distractions, growing in the Word for God's glory, not our own will be the overarching mission, and therefore taking comfort in the power of God. Again, don't be a spiritual slacker. <sighs> Drives me crazy. If you claim Christ in everything you do, live for Him. Everything. But we allow ourselves, here's the problem, we allow ourselves to be infatuated we allow ourselves to be infatuated with everything else but God often. Don't allow your appetites. Don't allow your cravings. Don't allow your affections, your infatuations to be for anything but only God and His glory. That's it right there, church. Matter of fact, I want you to look at these final verses I'm going to give you, and then we'll close. 
I just want to give you several verses from the Word of God. So write these down under key number three. Psalm 119. It's a really short chapter in the Bible. I want you all to memorize it this afternoon. All 100 and what, 70 some odd verses. You can do it. Just put it to a song. You can learn it. Psalm 119, 105, 107. Three verses. Your Word. Did you catch this? Your Word is what church? Help me. Is a lamp to my feet. And it's a what church? Help me. A light to my past. So it's going to help you walk. It's going to help you live life. God's Word. If you're stumbling through life today, is the Word of God in you and are you in the Word? 106, I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your what church? Word. Romans 12, verse 2. Romans 12, 2. Write this down. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Why? That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is what? Good and acceptable and perfect. God's Word does not just inform you. God's Word transforms you. If God's Word is not transforming your life, God's Word is not the problem. We are not to be conformed. Literally, it means this in the Greek. A mold, picture a mold, and when a substrate is melted, you can pour it into the mold, and the substrate that's melted now takes the shape of the mold. We are not to be molded, conformed to the world standards. We are to be molded, shaped, transformed to and by God's standards. Acts 9.31, write it down, Acts 9.31, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear, living in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. What happened to it? It multiplied, it grew, it flourished, and walking, living in the fear of the Lord. Holy all reverence, yes, but understand that God is God. And you don't play games with God. You walk in the comfort. There's that word comfort again from Acts 20. And the comfort of the Holy Spirit it multiplied. Matthew 5.4, Matthew 5.4, Sermon on the Mount, greatest sermon ever preached, three chapters long by Jesus. Blessed are those who mourn. Mourn over What? Sin is what he's implying. Blessed are those who mourn over sin, for they shall be what, church? Comforted. When's the last time you mourned over your sin? Ever done that recently? Can't believe I keep doing this. Forgive me, Lord. Give my wickedness. Forgive me. Cut to the heart. God's going to bless that. And lastly, Psalm 119. Back to Psalm 119, verse 50. I asked you earlier, I said, who's hurting, who's in pain? Literally everyone in the room raised their hand. This is my comfort, the Word says, in my affliction, that your promise 
It literally means this, that your word gives me, shout it out, church, life. There it is, right there. That's it. That's it. That's where we land in the hangar right there. If anyone here today or listening goes, yeah, the Bible, blah, 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 whatever, trust me on this, right there we just read it. It's going to give you life. But the question you got to answer is, why are you here? Like, really, why are you here? I pray, I pray, it's to gather around the Word. And I pray for you and I, that you and I would be people from this moment forward to give God more, actually to give God everything in 24. To give God everything. Like, I wonder here today as we close, is there anyone here willing to say, I'm willing to lay down my life. I'm willing to count everything else as loss. That I might know Christ, that I might know Him. And the power of His resurrection, yes. But you'll never know the power of His resurrection apart from the fellowship of His sufferings. Oh, I pray. I pray, Father, would you move in power over this room today? Lord, don't allow us to leave the same as when we came in. And so, Father, I pray if there's one here today that's never given their life to you, may today, right now, be the moment of surrender. No longer I surrender some. It's a crummy song to sing. But I surrender all. All to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I freely give. Lord, whatever You want us to do, may we be like the widow with Elijah, giving everything to You first, and then watching You work in power. Oh God, to You be the praise for what You're about to do as we confidently expect You to move in power in this time of reflection don't allow the enemy to get in right now. Don't allow the enemy to talk people out of what they should be doing. But may there be soft, tender hearts right now as we lay everything on the altar for your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people shouted, Amen. You've been listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. Don't forget that all of these messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. That's thisdayministries.org. In addition, if you have been blessed by the teaching of God's Word during This Day in the Word, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is info at thisdayministries.org. Thanks again for listening as we strive to honor Christ and impact our world as we spend this day in the Word.